Hi, welcome to the Vine Church podcast. This week we've got a great speaker. Hope you enjoy it. Word this morning, we're continu- continuing with the series on the Beatitudes uh, that we've been talking about for the four weeks, uh, the last few weeks, and uh, we finished it t- t- today. And uh, many of you've been away on holiday. Uh, but we've been talking about these amazing declarations, and it's been inspired by a book by Stu Gerard, um, Stu G from Delray's Band. Some of you may know Words from the Hill. And um, just to uh, remind us, uh, here's another little short intro video from Stu G to explain uh, his heart for this book and this uh, inspiring this series. So here we go. Sermon on the Mount has always been my favourite piece of the Bible. You know, we spend our lives kind of like trying to climb some sort of spiritual ladder when all the movement is God coming towards us. This is for everyone. You're a giver, not a taker. Walk the earth as a peacemaker. project is about, you know, kind of reaching beyond the differences and finding connection points, bringing people together. In this life, we want answers and what is offered to us is presence. Like, this is where God is, with the poor, with the broken, with the underpowered, those that are marginalized in our society and in the world right now. Thank you. Um, so it, this is trying to make sense because I have to admit the Sermon on the Mount as the Beatitudes uh, introduces to Jesus speaking to his disciples and a, and a crowd uh, laying out some of the most difficult, I think, statements to understand, they, they, they don't really make sense. Blessed are the poor. Here they are. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. It doesn't seem to immediately make sense that if you're mourning, you're happy. If you're persecuted, you're in a good place. If you're poor or poor in spirit, then that's good. It seems difficult to make sense of. And many have declared these words as the most powerful statements that have ever been spoken. And so I wanted to understand more about what Jesus was saying. And this book has really helped open my eyes to some of the things that I think Jesus was talking about. And um, the, we've done the first five, and uh, we're going to look at the next three this morning, the last three this morning uh, of the eight declarations. So uh, the first one is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And um, Stu G just, uh, from his book, saying, these announcements 
could just offer us the most amazing good news you could ever hope to read. That God is always available to us and is fully present in the ache, the lack, and the not yetness of life. Is it good news? And is it our good news? And want to understand that a little bit more today. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, if you were a Jew at the time when Jesus was speaking, and he said, you will see God, they would have been completely surprised, because they would have known that God himself had said to Moses, their great leader, that no one can see God and live. No one can see God and live. You will die if you see me. That was their experience, and the to say that you can see God was radical. And wouldn't it be great if we could just see God every so often? He could just turn up, you know, on the TV or in our living rooms, knock at the doors. I'm here. It's, it's okay. It's real. I'm alive. Everything's okay. That would be just great. We could see God. But that doesn't seem to be the way it works. So how does it work? Blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. Now, the pure in heart, to understand that, we're talking about our insides and a radical thing Jesus was saying that his kingdom was about what's going on inside of us. It's not just about what we're doing on the outside. And this, again, is a radical thought that. It's not how we look, what we're doing that can get us blessed by God. It was a challenge to the religious leaders, of course, at the time. And he was saying to the poor, to the weak, you can see God if you have a pure heart. But we know that as he went through his ministry, and this was just at the start of his ministry, he would explain that a little bit more. He told a great story, Jesus, about the prodigal son. I'm sure most of you know the story of the prodigal son. And uh, it captures the fact that everybody has a divided heart in some way. We've all got heart issues. There's something inside of us that isn't quite whole. And the story, uh, you, you know, I'm sure, uh, the the prodigal son is the one who was a party animal. He declared to his dad, who was a landowner, a farmer, give me, your, give me my money because it's rubbish here and I'm going to go somewhere else where you're not around, where I can go and have fun. And he, you know, probably um, like some of us, there's always differences in families, aren't there? And somebody that's a bit like that, a bit of the party animal. They always want to go and just have fun. And this was the prodigal son. He went, took his money, spent it all on wild living, ended up destitute and on the street, and comes to the senses and, and returns to the father. And you know, probably, he was the sort of guy you probably want to be around, a bit, a bit like alcohol maybe, just think he'll be great fun, you know, and uh, people are like that. And, uh, but they, you know. And then there's the, the older brother. He's the dull guy. He doesn't have any fun. He's a bit, you know, he's probably 
if I was looking at anybody in the church, it'd probably be in the mirror. He's the guy that tries to do the right thing, tries to be, I was brought up in church. I'll have you know. And, um, you know, I like to look, do the right thing. I like to be seen to doing the right thing, by the way. Yep, yep. And um, I'm pretty well behaved as well. I always was. I didn't like getting in trouble. And that was a bit like the other son of the father. He was actually full of pride, self-righteousness, being seen to do the right thing. But they both had massive heart issues, divided hearts, and they couldn't see how good their father was. When the son, the wild son, when Alco came back, having lived it out, I was there going, how's he getting the party? That's not on. How's all this celebration going on? What about me? I've been here for 30 years and nobody's shouting about me being around anymore. What's going on? I can't see both. And it's just a story. But it's a great one to illustrate that we've all got some sort of heart issues. And the worst Jesus was saying was pride. And I think he probably liked the prodigal a lot more than the older brother, by the way. (laughs) None of us have pure hearts. But Jesus promised you will see God. Because the promise that he was instituting, was bringing to bear, was coming to fruition, was a promise that we've known about throughout the Bible. Ezekiel 36 promises that God will give us a new heart and a new spirit he will place within us. And through Jesus Christ, that is the promise of the kingdom of God, that his spirit will dwell within us and our hearts will love God. And I remember the moment giving my life to God as a 20-year-old, a well-behaved 20-year-old, but a 20-year-old nevertheless, desperately needing God. And following on that moment, I started to want to read the Bible. I started to want to come to church. I I started to want to be known as a Christian, to understand Christian things. Something happened in my heart because I'd invited the Holy Spirit to dwell within me by faith. There was no way that I didn't have an undivided heart though. And it's a process, a never-ending journey. And so we wonder still, how can we see God? And The question of seeing God is is about purity. How can we see God? Moses, another great story, saw the burning bush. And again, I hope you're familiar with that. The the burning bush he saw in his day-to-day living, and there was God. And God said, take your sandals off. This is holy ground. And he actually hid his face because he knew he couldn't see God and live. And holiness seems to be the key to be able to live and see God. And everything that God has been doing has been about bringing that face-to-face connection back again. He wants us to see him. And all the 
religion of the Israelite system, finding a sacrificial system, all the laws, all the sacrifices, the temple, is all about allowing that moment. And it used to be that once a year, the, only the high priest could ever go into the presence of God, and they would tie a rope on him, so in case he died and came out again, they hadn't got everything right. And holiness was the key to being able to come into the presence of God. But the thing is, Jesus came and said to the woman at the well, there is a time when it's not about the place, it's not about the mountain, it's not about the temple that you will come and worship. One of the most distinguished words in the Bible, Stuji tells us in his book, is kadosh, which means holiness. A word more than any other representative of the mystery and majesty of the divine, he explains. Now that question is, which he quotes from a Jewish rabbi. The first thing that was ever made holy wasn't a thing, an object, a temple, a place, a church altar, a service, a person. It was the Sabbath. On the seventh day, God rested and declared that the Sabbath was holy. Time. Time is the first thing and the only thing in all the creation story that is made holy, that is sanctified, that is set apart for God and his time. And time is what Jesus is offering to us. Any time. Any place, anywhere, we can come before God because He has given us a new heart. He has given us His Holy Court. And we just choose what time that we want. We can have a holy moment wherever you are. You don't need to wait for church on a Sunday or how life group on a Wednesday. You don't need to wait till you've confessed all your sins and cleaned yourself up and prayed and fasted. It's anytime, anywhere, God is available to you to have that moment, and he wants to have it. And I think he gives us moments during every single day when there just might be a moment that he's saying, I'm here, I'm here. I had a, a moment recently with Michael, who's not here today. We were driving past Carnegie, and I stopped the lights. He came the other way, and he stopped the lights. Our windows were down, and we go, oh, it's you, hello. And we started to chat, and all this car started tooting. And I better go, but a holy moment. Nothing happened, but it was just, just good, a holy moment. Stu G explains and describes a moment. And this is where I decided I love this guy. He said he was with his band in California, and they decided to take some time off. Went to Disneyland in LA. And if you've ever been to Disneyland, you know it's pretty close to the kingdom of God. But he, he went, and this is a bit of a personal story, but he says that, and he's describing this, this moment, this time. And, you know, he had a great time. 
you know, I'd never been to Disneyland as a kid, and he, and he ended up at a place called Futurama in LA, and our family went with just about pilgrimage to every Disneyland you can possibly find. Now I know why. It's holy, Alana, it's holy, it's okay. Disneyland is holy. And then we'd even been to Vegas, seen the Bellagio Fountains, supposed to be an amazing sight. And here we were in Disneyland, exhausted after a long day. And we thought, oh, there's this thing, Futurama. Fountains, there's nothing, nothing like the Bellagio. Anyway, so we sit down and Stu G sat down and the fountains come on and it's great. And then they project on, if you've ever seen or ever know about it, they project on the most emotional clips you could ever imagine from all of the Disney movies, from Bambi to Toy Story to Mrs. Potts and the Teacups, and the music is there, and it's like heaven on earth. The joy and the moment and the emotion of that second, that time, is like nothing else. And if you want to go to pilgrimage, don't go to a boring old church. Go to flippin' Disney and enjoy the moment, because God is there. God is there in the moment. It's not about the place anymore. It's not about the church building anymore. It's about God and his presence and wanting to be with us. And it's wonderful. And Jesus is wonderful. And I think that's something about what Jesus is talking about. I just want you to see me. I want to see you face to face. And he's promising and he's made it possible for us to see him in any moment, at any time, that we decide this is going to be a holy moment. The amazing thing is, the next beatitude. If we are struggling inside, and many are, and you can be a Christian and be depressed, by the way. You can be a Christian and have mental health issues. There's a suggestion that you should be fixed and sorted, and that's not possible. That's a lie from hell. We're just people who are broken with divided hearts, battling through, but with new hearts growing, and we're trying to work it out. But we know that the more we get healed, the more we can bring that healing and that peace, the more we have peace inside. And that's what God is doing with us. Most of all, God is just healing our hearts, bringing us peace inside, healing that division, transforming us to us. Then we can start to bring peace. And the, the next beatitude The next beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The message puts it this way, you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. Being a peacemaker. We need to receive that peace that promise. We, we talked about the Hebrew word shalom a couple of weeks ago. Everything right, everything in its place, everything whole, nothing broken, everything right between us and God, us and each other, and us and the world. Shalom. It's not actually about the absence of conflict, but about mutual flourishing, about thriving, Aaron but thriving. And 
we understand in the stories that Stuji talks about, about he goes to the Middle East, the conflict between Arabs and Israelis, Palestine and Israel, and, and he's finding people who are working in the worst, in the most um, difficult of situations to try and find peace, to try and understand what this means, to bring forgiveness when you've lost your children, your family, and you're trying to bring love and forgiveness, and all sides are, are trying to find it, trying to attempt that. So Jesus was talking to people in, who were under the oppressed rule of Caesar in the Roman uh, Empire. They were peace keepers. They wanted peace in their whole empire, but they brought it through terror, through oppression, through violence. They suppressed. Jesus coming with an other way, a different power, the power of meekness, the power of forgiveness, the power of love. This was the peace that he would be trying to achieve. And um, what Stuji points out and recognizes is that in a conflict zone, and we picture it with the First World War, maybe with the trenches, one side and another, firing at another, bombing each other. In between is no man's land. And he says, peacekeepers dig themselves in, build up protection, and make sure their land is safe, their territory is safe. And you're seeing it in the, the conflict in the Middle East, entrenched positions, protecting their argument, defending their position on both sides. And in between is no man's lands. What he's saying is, peacekeepers are not peacemakers. They just keep the peace. But he's found people that are making peace. Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. And it means we need to move in to order the conflict, to do something, to get out into no man's land, to face the bombs and the difficulty, to come out behind our walls, to come out from behind our positions that we're defending. Because we want that person to thrive as much as we want us to thrive. We need to understand, we need to listen. It's a huge challenge, it's a huge challenge. And he says rightly that we see the areas in the Middle East just seem impossible, but the truth as well is it's about what we're facing. We all have, he suggests, areas of conflict. All have positions within our relationships, within our marriages, within our friendships, where we've drawn a line. And we've dug in. And we're keeping the peace in a certain situation. Somebody over here has dug in, built a line, and we become isolated. And, and uh, he's suggesting that the peace that God is wanting is for us to mutually thrive, to mutually benefit. If you're diminished in any way whatsoever, then I'm diminished. Love your neighbor as yourself. Starts to make sense. We're not called to be peacekeepers, but to engage, to listen, to build a better future. And that starts to make sense 
later on, Jesus says in Matthew 10, I didn't come to bring peace, but to bring division, brother against brother. And I just wonder, I don't really know, but I'm just thinking, how does this make sense? But actually, we need to be prepared to face a little bit of confrontation. It's not just sufficient to be tolerant. And I love being tolerant. I love it. I love keeping the peace. I love not having anything to fight against or deal with. And I'd much rather just avoid it and let you get on with it and suffer in silence than confront. And sometimes I think that's probably all right. When I'm having my cheese and biscuits, watching the TV and Sally going, don't eat, that's too noisy. I'm just saying, just be tolerant, woman. (laughs) Give me some peace. So sometimes it's okay. You just need to keep the peace to be tolerant. But when we're dealing about some of the issues and churches have the same challenges as individuals, we build our line in the sand and we build our towers and we won't come out and we defend. And we see somebody else over there, a different sector, a different church sometimes, a different sector of society. And I just wonder if Jesus is saying something completely different take a risk. Go out there. Peacemakers. Peacemakers. Get the right button. Blessed. The next one and the last one. Blessed are the persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The message says you're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. And um, persecuted church, we've supporting open doors recently that reviews across the, the globe where the most difficult places are to be a Christian, where you can't meet in public, where you are at risk of death, torture, just if you have a prayer meeting. And, and we're aware of those and, um, it, it, uh, and it's and it's true. You couldn't find me. Hebrews 11, somebody could, you on a Bible. Sorry, I forgot to get prepared for that. Thanks, Lana. Um, and we just can't, in this culture, really understand what that's like. And it's great. Aaron's connected with Open Doors Charity recently. We want to support them. We want to uh, help. And Aaron said a an anecdote from his meeting with Open Doors that when it was discussed about us not being the church of persecution, we're not persecuted. They were suggesting, well, is the devil not on your case? Do your, does your church not face challenges? Your society not against religion? Then there's a persecution. So although we understand that there's some extreme levels of persecution, there is no doubt that if we take a stand for Jesus in your life, you will face some sort of opposition and persecution. It may not be violent or physical, but it may be isolation. It may be not being part of the in crowd. It may be you're just a bit of a weirdo or going to that strange church up the road. You go to church and we have levels of persecution and any one of them can distract you and dull your faith. Stu G writes, 
The Beatitudes are predominantly about blessings of God's presence for people in bad situations, not a list of spiritual virtues to attain. They're about being, not doing, but they're not just passive announcements. They are a prophetic call to action, to show mercy, to live undivided, to be peacemakers, action that comes not from trying to achieve a blessing, but action compelled by grace. And he challenges us. And, and as we're summing up and coming to a conclusion, the challenge for me reading this is, am I doing anything good that is worthy of any sort of persecution? Am I, am I reaching out? Am I, am I treading on eggshells anywhere? Am I, am I just being prepared to stand up? And um, Alana, sorry if you've got that. Hebrews 11 gives us a list of superheroes, Christians, who um, have stood for, for the faith. And it says... All these people, in verse 13, were living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things they promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers in theirs. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. But I know it's where your heart is. And, and it goes on. This list of great heroes of the face, the persecuted. They were, they were put to death. Some faced jeers and flogging. Some even changed in imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, with us together. They would be made perfect. There was a persecution, a time for persecution, but you don't need to be more persecuted to be more holy. You don't need me to be more persecuted to find God. I don't know where the valley ends. Hebrews 12 goes on to explain. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The persecution we face is going to make you grow weary and lose heart. That is the opposition you will face as young people in the day. You might get a bit of abuse, a bit of ridicule, a bit of bullying. You might be difficult at work. You might face scenarios. We've been asked about what we think about homosexuality. It's just getting a higher in here. There's going to be opposition. But do not lose faith. Do not lose heart. Do not give up. See what Jesus has done. But we don't need, 
We don't need more persecution to get closer to God and see the kingdom come. Because Jesus dealt with it. He took all the persecution that was ever needed on the cross. And that's why we worship him and rescue him and delight in him. And when we do face it, and you will face it, you will have opposition. We just fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. G says go against the flow find a way find somewhere you need to go against the flow are you swimming upstream anywhere like Eddie flowing against the tide for water Are you activist about anything? Are we resisting anything? Or are we just going with the flow? Who are we speaking out for? And as a individuals, but even more as a church, these are the things we want to build upon, to do. I've lost this. You do the last slide for me. You got it, Leah? The last slide just says that we want answers. But what God offers is presence. I see and I've seen these Beatitudes as equations. If I do more on the one side, I get more of the other. If I'm more persecuted, I get more blessing. If I get more holy, I see God more. If I get more poor, I'll be more of a character of God's kingdom. It's not true. That's not how they work. They just all come together and offer us presents, not answers, not solutions. We don't know why so often these things happen. We just click to the song, turn it up. And this song that Stoogie's written with Joel Houston, just for me, sums it up. Don't give up. Go back to minute three, if you can, of that song. That we can have this hope in our hearts. These announcements of God's kingdom. We started this series with the angels declaring that good news is coming. Jesus, a Savior, is born in Bethlehem today. Peace on earth to all men. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Once and for all, heaven and earth connected. Man and God connected. And Jesus fulfilled it. And he explains a little bit more about how he does it with these announcements. Just listen to these words. Receive the presence. Have a moment.
Georgia, if you want to bring your band back up, that'd be great. The picture, if you weren't around, that was in the news, it illustrated the situation that we're in, that Jesus came as a rescue for mankind who is in the darkest of places, completely separated from God, dominated by death. Like the boys in the cave in Thailand, miles from home, in the depths of the earth, and the diver comes in and finds them. That is the moment Jesus has arrived on earth and declaring, it's going to be all right. We're going to get you all out alive. And in the meantime, and they thought they were going to have to wait for months and they brought in food, and they brought in light, and they brought in the voices of communication from their mums, because mercy, mercy, mercy is at the heart of all this. From the very womb of God, His love is coming out. And we're in that dark place, and there is a time coming, Revelation 21, and tells us about a new Jerusalem, that is coming out. And Jerusalem is made up of two Hebrew words, which means you will see in the peace of God. Jerusalem is the place you see the peace of God. And the new Jerusalem that is going to rescue us from the cave and the darkness is coming. We don't know when, we don't know how, but it's coming. It's coming. And in the meantime, we've got the divers coming in to be with us. We've got the food coming in to keep us going. We've got the light coming in to keep us alive. But we're not going to look at each other and say, I don't think you're coming out. I don't think you are coming out because, you know, I don't quite know what, where you're at and what you believe. I don't know if you're coming out because you're the coach. You got us in this mess in the first place. I don't know if you're coming out. Jesus just cut through all that said it's for everybody peace on earth to all mankind I'd love it if you could have a holy moment every day feel your pulse for a minute every day and remember it's not just your heart beating in there it's the new heart that God's given you giving you life giving you breath have a holy moment every day have a holy moment wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Don't wait. Don't wait. That's why Jesus came, so you can have a holy moment. I'd love it if you allow God to heal your heart, to bring you peace, and we find a way to make sense of that in the world, to respond to that, and to be that prophetic call for action. And may as a church we embrace these. Read the scriptures. Read the New Testament with this backdrop in mind of these declarations and receive God's love in Jesus name Amen Amen let's worship shall we let's worship and rejoice in Jesus name thank you Lord